like the only thing that matters in your entire life or in all of existence is the prayer that you're praying right then? I mean, you ever pray like, like, like food and water and even the air just has nothing in your life compared to the prayer that you're praying right there in that moment? I'm talking about praying with power. I'm talking about praying with passion. I'm talking about praying in full dependence and full surrender as if nothing else matters because in that moment in your life, nothing else does. I remember praying a prayer like that until at that point, up to that point in my life, it was the most powerful, most epic prayer, most, most surrendered, most needful prayer that I'd ever prayed in my entire life. I mean, I was praying and I was just screaming out to God because nothing else in the world mattered in that moment except that he would just hear me, that he would just hear me. And, and I prayed to the extent that my words could carry. And, and I prayed fully in the spirit in a way that nobody else could understand but God. And I prayed in just groans and moans and tears and snot and all that stuff. And I was just praying, oh, God, please hear me. Oh, God, please, that you would just move. Oh, God. And then, like I said, it, it transitioned just into mumbles and moans and groans and screams at one point. Oh, God. Oh, God. And God heard me. And God responded to my prayers. And that night, life was saved, and God was glorified, and God's good work was done on the earth. Can you say amen? And I remember praying in the same way for the same person two years later. In the very same way, I'm talking about sitting in a parking lot in a car and people were probably looking at me going, this guy has lost his mind. He's probably pray praying for somebody on the fifth floor, but he belongs on the sixth floor, if you know what I'm saying. And I'm slobbering, I'm praying, and I'm sitting there in this parking lot, and I'm crying out to God, and I'm speaking in, in tongues and angelic voices and regular language, and I'm praying scripture, and I'm doing all the stuff, man. I'm crying out to God. And he responded. And that night, life was taken. And God was glorified. And his good work was done on the earth. Because the first time I prayed, God gave me what I wanted. The second time, he didn't give me what I wanted. But both times, he gave me exactly what I needed because I'm telling you today that when you pray in full dependence and full surrender God's going to respond and he may not give you the answer that you want but I guarantee you that he will every time give you exactly what you need and he'll be glorified and his good work will be done on the earth whether you like it or whether you don't because that's the kind of God that we serve his glory is gonna fill the whole earth and his good work is going to be done I want to speak to you today on the topic of rise up and pray rise up and pray I wanted to preach today about how David rises up and 
because of the Holy Spirit that's on him, is able to defeat the, the spirit that's tormenting Saul. And then, because of the Holy Spirit that's on him, he's able to rise up and defeat the giant that's tormenting Israel. I wanted to talk to you today about how, because of the Holy Spirit, we talked about last week, you know, I mean, Samuel anoints David, so the, the rejected prophet anoints the forgotten son, and all this incredible stuff happens, right? I wanted to talk to you about how David, because of the Holy Spirit, rises up and overcomes things in the spiritual and things in the natural, and because you've got the Holy Spirit living in you, you could do that too. Somebody say amen. That's what I wanted to preach. That's what I wanted to preach. But aren't we glad that I don't always do what I don't what I want to do? <laughs> so instead of doing what I wanted to do, I actually prayed and asked God. Yeah, it sounds weird, doesn't it? That somebody would not do what they want to do, but that they would instead pray and ask God what he wants them to do. And so that's what I did. I prayed and asked God, hey, God, this is what I want to do, but what do you want me to do? And God immediately let me know that he wasn't done with the story of Samuel yet. That we can't move on to David until we get done talking about Sam. And, and so he took me back to the very beginning of Sam. And here, you know, here I am. And I'm sitting in this cabin up in the woods where we went on our very awesome two-day-long vacation. <laughs> yeah, two days in the mountains. It was cool, man. And guess what it did for those two days? Rain like crazy, man. And so here I am sitting in this cabin. I'm looking out the window, and rain's pouring down. Everybody else is asleep, and I just open up my Bible to the Word of God. And I just feel like, okay, God, so you're not done with Samuel yet, so I'll just start at the beginning. So I, I open it up to 1 Samuel chapter 1. That's where we'll be today. In case you need to turn there in your Bibles, we'll be reading in just a minute. So I'm in the book of 1 Samuel in chapter 1, and I just start reading. God's like, there you go. There you go, and here's why. Because before Samuel could rise and anoint his mama had to rise and pray. Before he could rise and anoint the next king of Israel, his mama had to rise and pray that he would be at all. So if you guys would stand and rise with me for the reading of God's word today. We're in the book of 1 Samuel, starting in chapter 1. And I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version today. The extra sovereign version. That's because the Calvinists like it a lot. The Reformed bunch likes the ESV. Yep. All right, here we go. First Samuel chapter 1. There was a certain man of Ramathane Zophim in the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeraham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, the Ephronite. And he had two wives. Hmm, that's starting out sketchy already. But, <laughs> but how are you going to have two wives? I can barely keep up with the one. He had two wives. His honeydew list is long, I bet. The name of one was Hannah, and the other was the, the name of the other was Penina. That name just sounds sketchy, doesn't it? And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phineas were priests of the Lord, kind of. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and all her sons and daughters. But Hannah, but to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. 
And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart so sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? Nope. After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Ooh, somebody say Hannah rose. Hannah rose. Come on. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost to the temple of the Lord, and she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall ever touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth, and Hannah was speaking in her heart. Only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord. I'm a woman troubled in spirit. I've drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I've been pouring my soul out before the Lord. Come on, man. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. For all along, I've been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, whoa, (laughs) go in peace. And the Lord of Israel, grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went on her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Mm. Verse 19 says this, they rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah, and Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called him Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. Father, we ask today from the Lord that you would just be with us, God, that you would send your Holy Spirit to minister to us, body, mind, and soul, Father, and that you would remind us what it means to pray, that you remind us what it means to truly pray, not to, to offer up some lip service to you, God, but to pray with our entire heart, our entire mind, our entire soul, God, and that you would remind us that when we do that, you will respond. We love you, God. We praise you. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray, and all God's people said, uh, come on, man, let's give God a shout of praise up in here this morning, man. Hannah had it rough, didn't she? Hannah had it rough. But you know what? It's like that sometimes. You know why? Because family is hard. Family is hard. And I know I've heard some stories this week already, man. I've heard some stories. I've been in some stories. Family's hard. And and she's, she's in this tough spot, man. And she's married to Elkanah that you know, loves her in in his own, I guess, fleshly way. But she's in a tough spot. And not only is she in a tough spot, she gets it rubbed in her face every day. So can you imagine having the most incredibly painful moment of your life just picked up and and rubbed in your face like a meringue pie every single day of your life? I mean, you know, you got this wound in your life and and you got this person that, that takes exactly what you're hurting because of and then just pour salt in that wound every single day of your life, over and over and over again. Salt in the wound, salt in the wound. It scabs over a little bit, and this lady comes up and just rips it off and starts pouring salt in there again and just rubs it into you. Every single day she's flaunting what she's got that you ain't got, what she can provide that you can't provide, and saying, hey, even though you might have his heart, I've got his kids and his future right here 
spear in my hand. And so you're actually nothing, and you couldn't do the only thing in that culture that, that made a woman important or made a woman who she was in that culture. You can't do it. So guess what? I'm going to rub this in your face and make you realize how small and how insignificant that you really are. And so Hannah's in a tough spot. And it's in a very, very tough spot. And, and Panana's cruel to her, mostly, I think, just because she's jealous of her. Because, see, Hannah's name is mentioned first in the Scripture, which means that she was Elkanah's first wife. See, he chose her out of love. And I think Elkanah did love her in the best humanly way possible that he could. He loved her. And Panana knows that. Panana knows that. And so she's got all this jealousy bent up, so she's going to use the only weapon that she has available to her, and I'll let you figure that out on your own, to be able to bring Hannah down just as far as she can bring her down. And it hurts. And it hurts. And so in this situation, man, Hannah's really got three choices of what she can do. I mean, she can wallow in it until she lets it destroy her. Or she can run away, or she can rise up. And I think that we have the same choice when we're going through painful things in our lives. We can either let it destroy us, or we can run away from it, or we can rise up. We can rise up and we can go and take it to the only one that can do anything about it anyway. Either we can let it destroy us, or we can run away from it, or we can rise and pray and cry out to God and watch him move in power. Sometimes it's easier to say that. Actually, all the time it's easier to say that than it is to do that. You know why? Because nobody really understands your pain. I mean, they don't. Nobody really understands your hurt. And I, I'm talking about that hurt that you got that's deep down. You know, I'm talking about that hurt that you got that you can't even really share with other people because you've tried before and they couldn't get there. I'm talking about that kind of pain that you've got that even though you thought you laid it at the altar and you thought that you was rid of it, that every now and then it comes and it rears its ugly head back in your life all over again. I'm talking about that kind of hurt that cripples you, that kind of hurt that puts you on your knees and not in prayer but just from torment and suffering, man. I'm talking about that kind of pain that nobody on this earth can understand except you maybe some of you've never felt a pain like that maybe you haven't and if you haven't that's okay but in a minute some of us are going to shout just to warn you in a minute there's going to become a time for shouting and the ones of you that haven't really experienced that deep down in your gut kind of pain you're not going to know when to shout so let me just give you a spoiler alert when the rest of us start shouting you just start shouting too okay when the rest of us just start lifting up a hallelujah to the lord you just do it too and you'll fit right in with what we're doing here before the lord because those of us that have hurt like that, man, we know. Man, we know. I mean, we're singing that song earlier, man, and we talk about that, that moment where it says, let me tell you about my Jesus. Ain't no sinner that he can't save. And here's the best part. If he did it for me, then he can do it for you. And that just hits different for some of us. Because some of us were in that moment where we didn't think Jesus could save us. I mean, we were that person that was so far out and so far away and so far gone that we didn't really believe, didn't believe that Jesus could save us. But then he did. And so when that part of that verse, that song hits, man, some of us are like, yeah, and it just hits different. It just hits different because we want for you what we got. Because we had that kind of hurt where we felt so distant from God, we didn't think that his arm was long enough to reach us. And then it did. And then it did. And then it did. And we're singing about his presence, man. We're singing about his presence. And, 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 and some of us may have had that hurt that's so deep that there's nothing that will quell that hurt except his presence. Tylenol won't touch it. Hydrocodone won't do nothing for it. 
All the bottles and all the syringes and all the stuff in the world can't do nothing for it. All the things that bring people pleasure in the world, they can't touch this kind of pain that I'm talking about. But, oh, God is present. Somebody say amen. Oh, God is present. Can do something for that kind of pain that nothing else can do. Mm. So it's different, man. It hits different. And then that last song we sang, man, and we're talking about that he goes before me and he goes behind me and he goes beside me. And that hits different for some of us, too, because some of us know that we could not take a step in our life if that wasn't true. That you couldn't go the places I've been if that wasn't true. That you couldn't do the things that I've done if that wasn't true. That you couldn't transfer from where we've been to where we are now if he wasn't before us and behind us and beside us and within us and around us and through us and all those things. Man, if that wasn't true, then we'd still be where we were. Somebody say amen. That's what hits different. But nobody else on this earth can understand your pain. I remember when Angela was in labor with Logan. It was a tough labor. It was a tough place. She was in labor for like 13 or 15 hours or just something insane. And then, yeah, man, and then towards the end, his big old head got caught in her pelvic bone, and they couldn't get him out, and everybody panicked for a minute. But like in the middle of this crazy, strenuous labor, I, 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 she's in so much pain, and, and she's struggling so hard, and I love her. And I want that. You know, some people don't care about your pain, Right? And then some people don't even want to know what you're going through. But some people do, but they still can't. And so I'm like, baby, what's wrong? Where's it hurt? And she's like, it's my finger, you idiot. <laughs> I wanted to know. I wanted to be able to empathize with what she was going through. Yeah, y'all can visualize that whole moment if you want to. But I can't. That's a pain that I'll never be able to understand. And I see all the women in the audience going, that's right. You're right. Preach, pastor, preach. I don't want to understand it. <laughs> but that's something that I can never understand. Never. No matter how bad that I want to, I'll never be able, and I don't want to, but... I'll never be able to understand the pain that she was in in that moment. But I think that transcends to so many other parts of life, man, because I've been through things in my life. I'm hurt in ways that you guys will never be able to comprehend. Nobody else on the earth can hurt like you've hurt. And, and, and that pain is yours. It's unique to you. It, that, that pain is unique to you. And nobody else can understand what you've been through. I mean, nobody else can understand what it was like to lose that child. Nobody can ever understand what it was like when those people betrayed you. Nobody else can understand what it was like when you had that illness that you, you couldn't get rid of. Man, nobody else can understand those things on the earth. But there is one that does understand. There is one that, that does understand. The book of Hebrews, in, in, in chapter 4, the, the Bible says this. It says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we, present, that we profess. For we do not have a high priest that is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. Then let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need see there's one that understands 
There's one that gets your pain. There's one that can comprehend every moment that you're going through. And there's one that does care. And there's one that will be there. You know how everybody else shies away when you're going through certain things? There's one that will run to you no matter what it is that you're going through. You know how eventually those bridges with people gets burned? Well, this one never does because this bridge was made by the way and the truth and the life. And there's nothing on this earth that can ever tear it down. See, there's one that understands. There's one that gets it. And there's one that will fight for you no matter what. And because of him, we can go boldly to the throne of grace because that's the only place we'll ever find the sustenance that we need. That's the only place that we'll ever find what we need in this life is at that throne of grace, at the cross of Jesus Christ. Elkanah comes to his wife and he says, why are you crying, baby? Don't you know how much I love you? Aren't I enough for you? Aren't I better than ten sons? Well, don't you love her enough that you don't need to go and have some sons by this other woman? I mean, wasn't she worth enough to you that you didn't need sons? I mean, think about that for a minute. He's telling her that he's enough for her. And yet he's also in that same sentence saying, but you're not enough for me. Man, guys, that's not love. I mean, it's a twisted up version of human love, and for some people it's enough. Or we think that it is. But I want to tell you that any love that doesn't come from God is not real love at all. Because 1 John 4 and 8 says that God is love, and anything that is separate from him is not real love. Anything that's not really from God is not real love, man. And so he's trying to get her on some kind of twisted up, messed up deal. Aren't I enough for you, but you're not enough for me? Aren't I worth more to you than all the sons in the world? And yet she wasn't worth enough to him for him to love her and only her. But you know who loves her enough to give up everything for her? You know who loves her so much that he would carry the weight of all her sin to Calvary's hill? And in that moment, I think that Hannah has a revelation. And in, in that moment, she, she, she has a, a, a revelation she realizes that she's not going to find what she needs by sitting there and wallowing in her pain. She finally realizes that she's not going to find what she needs in her husband. Mm. She's not going to find what she needs in any person that's walking around on the face of this earth. And yet how often do we try to find what we need in the world? We try to find what we need in, in our, our work, and, and we try to find what we need in money, and we try to find what our need in, in drugs and dough, but I don't even go in there today. We try to find what we need in other people. We try to find what we need in our spouse, and man, that's a lot of pressure to put on your spouse is trying to get what you need from them when they ain't God and they never have been. You know, I'm a fairly decent husband, I think, but I'm a terrible God. You know, I'm not even a really good husband most of the time, but I'm a really, really bad God. But she has this revelation that she's not going to find what she needs sitting at that table she's not gonna find what she needs sitting at that table she's gonna have to go to another table can you say amen she got to go to another table. And the Bible says this, after they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. And I think this is one of the most powerful, you know, pieces of Scripture in the entire Old Testament, man. After they had ate and drunk, but Hannah didn't eat and drink. Everybody else did. But when everybody else was getting done, man, Hannah rose. Hannah rose. And, and it says that she was deeply distressed and she prayed to the Lord bitterly. So she left the table and went to the altar. Can somebody say amen? 
she left the table and she went to the altar and she was deeply distressed and she prayed and wept bitterly before the Lord and she made a vow, O Lord of hosts. If you'll look on your servant, um, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant, remember me and forget me not, but will give your servant a son that I will give him back to you all the days of his life. And she rose up out of her pain and she rose up out of her torment and she prayed and she prayed and that's what I'm challenging every single person in this room, everybody watching online here today to do, is to rise up out of your torment, rise up out of your grief, rise up out of your pain, rise up out of your frustration, rise up of whatever that is trying to drown you, and go to the altar and pray to the only one that can make a difference in your life. That's what the challenge is today. And she continued praying before the Lord, and Eli observed her mouth. And Hannah was speaking only in her heart, but her lips moved, but her voice was not, was not heard. You ever pray so hard that words just wouldn't do it anymore? I mean, I'm just saying. You, you, you ever pray so hard that you was just a slobbery, messed up mess, and the people at the stoplight probably thought that you had no business driving down the road? I think people at my work sometimes are walking in going, he probably should be in here and not working here. I work at a psychiatric facility, by the way, in case you guys don't know. You ever pull up in your work and just pull into your parking space and you wish that the drive was a little longer because you wasn't quite done praying yet? You wasn't quite done praying yet? Walk in and your boss is like, you're seven minutes late. And it's like, yeah, I probably should have been about 15 or 20 if I really was going to do what I needed to do this morning. And sometimes we pray in a way where it just takes over every other aspect of our lives. But I don't think that we do that near often enough. I think way too often prayer is something that we do to check it off of our list for the day. Prayer is something that we do so we can say that we did it. And prayer loses some of its power in that, and it loses some of its glory in, in that, and it, and it loses uh, its, its potential for action in that, man. But man, those prayers, those one prayers where you're just moaning and groaning and crying out to God, and you may be speaking where people can understand you, and you may not be, but, but, but God gets the point because sometimes those tears speak way louder than your words ever could, and sometimes those moans and groans speak to God in a way that, that is more powerful than any, any Greek or, or Hebrew lexicon that you could ever memorize. Because sometimes all that, that, that God is looking for is just a move of your heart, man. And, and then the Bible says this, is therefore, you know, because she was praying like this, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And he said, how long are you going to be drunk? Put your wine away. Put your wine away. See, even the church mistook one for another. Even the church was trying to explain away a powerful movement of God. And how often today do we do the same thing? We try to explain away a powerful movement of God instead of calling it what it is. We, we, we explain away the miracles of God. We explain away the life change that God provides. We explain away all these ways that God comes and interacts with his people and moves and with power and glory and peace and love. Man, we explain these things away in whatever way that we can. Oh, she's in here going crazy at the altar, man. She must be drunk. <laughs> I don't know why this guy thinks he's the morality police anyway. You know, his two idiot sons are the reason that the glory has left Israel in the first place. Like he's got these sons, Phineas and Hophni. Let me tell you about these guys for a minute. Y'all hear some gossip? 
<laughs> Let me tell you about these two. So the, literally, the Bible says that the glory left Israel because these two are stealing the sacrifices that people are bringing into the temple and keeping it for themselves. Not only that, they're sleeping with the temple assistants that are there in the temple. Like his sons are ruining the church in Israel, and yet he's going to throw stones at Hannah because she's in there praying funny. And, and how often in the church, though, do we do the same thing? Since when did we become the morality police? You know, I see people in the church all the time going to point fingers at somebody else. And, and just because their sin is not quite as evident as some of the other people's are, they think that they get to get on a high horse and chuck stones at everybody else. Well, I'll tell you what, buddy, you better uh, watch the house that you're living in before you go throwing bricks at somebody else's establishment. Because God knows. God knows what's going on in our lives. And he's up here throwing stones at Hannah and, and, and making accusations against her when really his house is the one that's not in order. Really his house is the one that's all messed up and his people are the reason that the glory of God left Israel. But you know what? Where the glory of God left through Eli and his family, the glory of God is going to return through Hannah and her son Samuel. Can you say amen? So she's down here praying and she's going crazy. And so let me take a sidebar to let you know this, man. Don't let somebody else judge the way that you worship. Don't let somebody else judge the way that you pray. Don't let somebody else judge the way. If you're doing something that lines up with Scripture to glorify God, man, you do that. You do that. You know, I, I'm, a, I'm a very active worshiper, as people see. I love to lift my hands to God, and you might even hear me shout hallelujah every now and then. And praise God for that. I love to do that. I love to just, man, I love to just lift my hands to heaven. You know, we, we get that from several places where it says lift holy hands to God in the Psalms. And in Nehemiah, it talks about how they put their hands in the air. And, and they were just praising God. Really, it's an act of surrender in case you don't know what I'm doing. You know, when somebody comes in, what's the first thing they do when they have you to row and they rob your bank, man? They say, put your hands up, right? What's the first thing that the police do when they, they take you into custody, man? Put your hands up, right, so they can see what you're doing. Man, when I raise my hands to the Lord, I'm doing it as an act of surrender. I'm saying, Daddy, I belong to you, man. And you know, what does my son do? The first time he runs up to me, right, he throws his hands up in the air like this, saying, pick me up, Daddy. And that's exactly what I do. And that's all I'm saying when I'm lifting my hands up. God, I surrender to you. I surrender to you. Reach down and just take me lord reach down and take me and 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 that's just the way that i choose to worship and like i said you might hear me shout you might hear me say amen you might hear me say hallelujah there ain't no telling what you might hear me say but i receive no judgment for those things from anybody because the way that i'm worshiping is lining up with what i see in the word of god but you know some people like to sit quietly in their worship some people like to sit quietly and contemplate the things of god in their worship and if that's you man don't let anybody judge you for that and don't let anybody act like that they're more holy than you because they're down here on the altar and you're in your seat. But at the same time, don't let anybody judge you because you like to dance a little bit and like to shout a little bit and like to get a little crazy in the church service, man. Don't let anybody judge you for the way that you're worshiping if the way that you're worshiping is lining up with what the Word of God says about worship. Don't let anybody try to drag you down about the way you're praying if the way that you're praying lines up with what we see in the Word of God. Don't let anybody try to take that away from you. Don't let anybody try to make you feel sketchy about how it is that you're serving God, how it is that you're worshiping God, how it is that you're praying to God because you know what? That belongs to you that belongs to you that belongs to God and however that you choose to express that as long as it lines up with what this word says that's pleasing to God that's a sweet smelling savor to God and don't let anybody come in there and be like oh they must be drunk they must be drunk yeah we are drunk you know what not on wine though we're drunk on the power of the Holy Spirit of the living God because it's an intoxicant the likes of which the world can't even match yeah you can give him praise for that because he's the great provider of all things 
Because I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit got me higher than anything else in the, in the world ever could. Amen, Kyle Milby. Amen. Amen. That's what this is all about. You need to put that drink down. Quit getting drunk in the house of the Lord, girl. <laughs> Sorry, I get upset about this. He ain't got no business telling her how to praise God. Hannah rose. Hannah rose because she was tired of being placated too. Hannah rose because she was tired of her husband telling her how much that he loved her while he gave his affections to her rival and her rival's children. And so she did the only thing that she could do, man. She rose and she prayed. And I don't mean that she prayed, God is good, God is great, thanks for the food we done ate. I don't mean that kind of prayer. I know, because I prayed that one a lot. I mean that she rose and she prayed until the whole world thought that she had lost it. I mean, she got up and she prayed until everybody that looked at her thought that she had gone stark, raving, mad. You know why? Because she no longer cared what the world thought about her. She no longer cared what the people around her said about her. She no longer thought that it was proper to stay in decorum. No, no, no. She knew that the only chance that she had in life was with the Lord. And, and that, that moment of desperation will change your entire life when you realize that he is your only chance and that he's been your only chance the whole time. When you finally realize that he is all that you need and you begin to pray in dependence and in surrender, it changes everything. And so she goes to the Lord and she says, oh, Lord, my God, if you would just see me. Oh, God, if you would just hear me then whatever it is that you pour out on me, I'll give it right back to you. And she meant it. She meant it. When's the last time we prayed and asked God for something and was like, oh, yeah, God, and if you'll give it, I'll give it right back to you. When's the last time we prayed realizing that everything belongs to him anyway? When's the last time that we prayed realizing that it's all his anyway? When's the last time we prayed realizing that our children belong to him in the first place? That our, that our spouse belongs to him before they ever belong to us? That every bit of resources that we have in our life, it's really all his. When's the last time we prayed realizing that salvation belongs to the Lord, that healing belongs to the Lord, that deliverance belongs to the Lord, that the past, the present, and the future all belong to the Lord? Man, when's the last time we prayed in full dependence and full surrender? Because when you do, I promise you he'll respond. I promise you he'll respond. And so she's in there praying like that and weeping and crying. And Eli's like, man, what are you doing up in here drunk? And she's like, listen here, buddy. I ain't drunk a drop. I'm in here pouring my heart out to the Lord. I'm praying out of my anxiety and my pain and my frustration. And I'm pouring my soul out before God in here. And you're going to come in here talking about some Merlot? What are you talking about, man? Have you lost your mind? And then I love the response that Eli has. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Because they say a scorned woman is scary. You know what's more scary than that? A woman with a need in her heart and prayer on her lips. A mama that's praying for her babies. That's scary. That'll have you getting out of the way. And all of a sudden, Eli's like, whoa, may the Lord grant you whatever it is you're praying for. And he makes a fast exit, right? He's trying to get out of her way. Because she's serious. Because she's serious. 
And then this may be my favorite part. Then the Bible says that she goes back in there. And they look, look, listen now, everybody else is done eating. Because it says that they had done ate and drank, right? But she was too busy being upset and she was crying all over her chicken or whatever. You know, crying in her cup and she didn't eat her food. But she had to leave the table and go to the altar. She had to leave the table and go to the altar. But then after she got what she needed at the altar, Bible says she went back to the table and she sat down and she ate and she didn't cry no more. You know why? Because she realized that all she ever needed was at the altar. That all she ever needed was at the altar. She didn't need anybody's approval. And she didn't even need the blessings of the flesh because she got what she needed at the altar of the living God. And so now it's okay to go back and live the life that she's been called to live no matter what the circumstances are around her because she's got what she needs. Because when you depend on God fully and you surrender to God fully, all of a sudden all the other stuff that's going on in your life don't matter near as much as it did before. And so she can go back to the table. After you go to the altar, you can go back to the table. After you go to the altar, you can go back to the table, and you can sit down in peace. You can sit down in peace, because see, Hannah now knows that she's done all she could do. She's done everything that she could do. You go boldly, boldly to the throne of grace. And let me tell you this, church, when you go boldly to the throne of grace, truly boldly to the throne of grace, you can go boldly into every other aspect of your life. And all of a sudden, all that stuff out there in the world is not nearly as scary as it was anymore. It's not nearly as overwhelming as it was anymore. Because you know what? Uh, no matter how big our problems might have seemed when we were sitting at the table, when you go to the altar and come back, they don't seem near as big as they were anymore. Because our problems are not nearly as big as our God is. Our issues are not nearly as big as our God is. Our obstacles are not nearly as big as our God is. All that stuff that's terrorizing you is not nearly as scary as our God can be when he wants to be. And you know what? He's available to you. So she goes back to the table and she starts eating again. No sadness on her face, but peace in her heart. Peace in her heart. Because she was able to get everything that she needed from the Lord, from the Lord. She's done all she could do. And as she depends on God fully, and she surrendered to God fully, and the next day she rises up to worship, She rises up to worship, not to go and ask God, hey, remember what I prayed last night? Would you give me what I, what I asked for? You know, not to, to go and petition him over and over and over again. No, man, she goes and she uh, goes to worship. And she cries out to God and surrender. And she cries out to God in glory. And she cries out to God in praise. And the Bible says that he remembered her. The Bible says that he remembered her and he gave her exactly what she needed. 
exactly what she needed. He remembered her, and she had a son. And she named him Samuel, and it means because I asked the Lord for you. And she got exactly what she needed. And you know what she did with that? That blessing that she got from God, that was the only thing that she wanted in her life. She could have had all the riches of a thousand hills, man. She could have had, you know, the, the love of her husband. She could have had some place of status and all that stuff didn't matter. She got the only thing that she ever desired, the only thing that she wanted from God, she received. You know what she did with that blessing? She brought it to the altar of God. And she laid it down before him. And she said, this is yours. This has always been yours. And so guys, sometimes I think that we see the altar of God as a place to go and lay down our curses and our burdens. And it is. But I don't think that we truly understand what the altar really symbolizes. See, in the Old Testament, the altar wasn't a place to bring your burdens. The altar wasn't a place to bring your struggles. See, in the Old Testament, the altar was a place to bring the very best that you had. See, the altar was a place to bring your first fruit. The altar was a place to come and lay down your offering, your sacrifice to God. she ever wanted the thing that made her finally feel like somebody the very thing that took away her pain and took away her torment her very best she came and gave to God not her leftovers Not the time she had at the end of the week. Not the few dollars she had left in her account after she did everything that she needed to do. Not that little bit of energy and effort that she had left over she took care of the important things in her life. Not her second child not her third child her first and at that time her only child she brought him to the altar you guys that's what surrender looks like that's what surrender looks like She prayed 
like nothing else in the world mattered. And God responded in power. And she handed it right back to him. In full surrender. In full surrender. And in that moment, when Hannah brought when Hannah brought Samuel back to the temple, that's when the glory began to return to Israel. God's going to answer your prayers. One way or another. Maybe you'll like it, maybe you won't, but he's going to answer. But here's the question. Will you surrender? Will you surrender that answer back to him? Will you use that blessing for the glory of God? Or on the flip side, will you use that struggle for the glory of God? Hannah rose and Hannah prayed. And God did something so incredible. that the world wouldn't even be able to understand it until Jesus rose from the grave. Because the glory left Israel. But through Samuel, the glory came back. And then the rejected prophet anointed the forgotten son. And then King David King David, the one who was like Christ, overcame the spirit and the giant. King David laid down the lineage of the throne that would last forever. That would lead. That would lead to a baby to be born and laid in a manger. That would lead to a carpenter that would walk down to the River Jordan so his cousin could baptize him. And then just like the Spirit fell on David, the Spirit would fall on him. And then he would go on to live a life that we couldn't live. So that he could pay a price that we couldn't pay by dying a death that we couldn't die. And then standing at a cross, another mother, another mother would surrender their son. 
back to the Lord. So that the glory of God that we lost in our sin could be returned to us. But now the question is this. What are you going to do with the grace of God that has been given to you? I know you've got a need in your life. I don't have to ask. We don't have to have a show of hands this morning to know that there's a need. I know that there is. And so I'm going to invite you to pray. Maybe you want to come to this altar. Maybe you want to stay right where you're at. Maybe you want to pray silently and move your lips just like Hannah did at the end. Or maybe you want to pray violently like she did in the beginning. Maybe you want to shout. Maybe you want to weep. I don't know. But I know this, that we better seize this opportunity to pray like nothing else matters. Because you know what? Nothing else does. Nothing else does. Because he can do more in a millisecond than we could do in a thousand lifetimes. So if you need to pray today, don't miss it. You know why? Because we're not promised tomorrow. We're not even promised this afternoon. You know what we're promised? We're promised this moment right now and the grace of God.